This is Team Time, your weekly Q&A session to building better teams and leadership practices. This series of episodes is part of the Better Teams podcast, hosted by me, Vincent, and Max. Thank you for being here with us. Have a good listening. Hi, Max. Hi, Vincent. Hi, everyone. Uh, Max, what do you want us to discuss today? Today, I'm really happy because we get to cover a topic which was brought to us by one of our listeners. Nice. Anne-Laure, who's based in Canada, was asking us about uh, the three top challenges and the three top good practices that you need to keep in mind as a first-time manager. So I think that's very interesting because obviously the three top challenges are directly related to the three good practices. Okay, good. That sounds very interesting. Um, so I guess we can go through the different challenges together. So according to you, what would be the first challenge that you can expect to encounter as a people leader? So the very first challenge that you encounter as a first-time people leader is how to deal with multiple stakeholders. Because very often, your main source of um, probably anxiety in the very beginning, I mean, I cannot imagine that it's any other way, is your team, right? You want to be there to enable the team, you want there to protect the team, you know, all these things. This is really running on your mind. But you should never forget that as a manager, you're also part of another team. You know, you have peers, you know, so whether they are in the same type of uh, function as you, so they are managers in the same domain, or maybe you are part of a business unit. So it could be that uh, as the head of engineering, for instance, you're also the colleague of the head of marketing, for instance. You know, this is possible, right? The head of sales, you know, anything. So it's very important to keep in mind that you also need to, to manage your peers, right? And to build a relationship with your peers, not only your team. And the same thing goes for your boss, because you need to keep your boss informed, you need to keep your boss happy as well. You need to enable your boss so that it can also succeed, right? So this is a very complex relationship, right? And you need to keep that in mind. And the same thing goes for, uh, for the customer, whether it's internal or external. This is also a stakeholder that you need to keep in mind. So it's very, very important to, to be able to, to manage these different type of relationships. That sounds indeed particularly difficult. So if I get you well here... The first challenge is to not only take care of your peers, of your team, but also to succeed in balancing multiple demands from multiple sources. You said customers, direct report, your own boss. It's really important that um, people taking on this new role are aware of that. And often they would say, okay, but that's very difficult because my team, I'm responsible for them. I have a certain mandate to enable my team, right? But when it comes to my peers and when it comes to, to my boss especially or the customer, I don't really have a real influence or a real power. And that's usually why, it's, why it goes wrong, right? And that's what leads me to the, the challenge number two, is to learn how to influence and persuade others without choosing formal authority. Because, I mean, obviously, if you're the head of the team, as the team manager or the team leader, yeah, you have formal authority. I would strongly advise not to use that to, to enable your team, you know. That, that would be, I mean, it feels like a last resort kind of thing, right? You shouldn't have to, to pull ranks and mention every day that you're the boss. I mean, if you go that way, you will not earn any respect or trust and the team will not go in the right direction. But at the very least, okay, you could say that you have that formal authority, you know. That's what comes with the role. So most likely your team will keep that in mind. But when it comes to your colleagues, you know, your peers, uh, your boss, your customers, there you need to really learn how to, how to deal with influence and persuasions because these are 
you know, different type of uh, power source, if I can say it like this, or source of power besides formal authority. And there are many things that you can use. For instance, you didn't get to that position by accident, right? So most likely you have an expertise, you know, you have an expertise which you can use to, you know, to, to leverage some authority within the organization. You know, people will listen to you because they trust your expertise, right? Of course, there is a caveat there. You have to be careful that you not only rely on your expertise. Otherwise, you will have this, uh, you know, fake sense of um, acceptance, which can be also dangerous because you know, you're not in a different role. But okay, expertise, it's still uh, an informal source of power, you know, and authority. So that's good to, to keep that in mind. Of course, the other thing is the, you know, you have your personal qualities, right? You know, some people have a sense of humor and... Uh, and that's, what pe that's why people like them and listen to them, maybe. So you can always influence also using your sense of humor, right? I mean, this is an example, right? Uh, some people are also really good uh, speakers, for instance. They are a very good public speaker. And, uh, you know, when they speak, you know, people listen to them. So this also could be uh, an informal source of authority. And this could really help you build the right connection within the organization. And this leads me to another type of um, uh, source of power, which is uh, beyond formal authority is a position in the key networks. And here I'm not talking about LinkedIn or uh, social networks, but it's, it's a little bit like that also within the organization. You know, often um, in organizations, there are like departments, but also group of interest. You know, there are task forces, things like this, where people take different roles and are from different parts of the organization. Your position in those initiatives is also very important. You get to meet people. You get to, um, to propose initiatives. You, need, you, you get to, to join new projects that way. So you can build a very uh, strong network that way. And this could really help you influence your peers, your customers, maybe your boss as well. So keep that in mind. And the last thing, of course, is kind of the sum of all of it, uh, is really visibility, so being visible in the organization. So, you know, through the task force that you've joined, through your, uh, your skills as a public speaker, maybe your sense of humor, all these things make you also visible, right? So, um, yeah, that's a very important part. And um, first-time leaders should never forget that. This could really help them. And I think there is also other type of, um, of influence you, could, you can put in place, right? You know, I mean, I didn't talk about friendship, you know, uh, because there's, you know, all kind of discussions about, okay, what is it? What is it like to be to be friends in the office? But I mean, of course, you can build friendships in in the office. So this also is a I don't want to say that friendship is a, is a source of power, but friendship is also what will get you the attention of some of the people that you might want to discuss with or might want to to need something from. You know, I mean, so yeah, that's just an extra example, but uh, there are plenty of them. Just to sum it up for you listeners um, on the challenge of influencing and persuading others. You can have formal authority on some level, of course, uh, but Max just gave four different sources of power that you can use besides uh, this formal authority. Uh, expertise, personal qualities that you want to value, your position in key networks, and also your level of visibility. Uh, and I would just like to come back to persuasion uh, and say a word about what it means and the difference between persuading and convincing people, which is very interesting because they mean two different things and they don't work the same way. When you want to convince someone, you use reasonable arguments. You're trying to talk to the other person's reason. You use facts, numbers, you bring your authority forward, for example. When you want to persuade somebody, you're way more on an emotional level. It's not about being reasonable. It's not about giving facts. You want to bring somebody to believe or to trust you. 
by being appealing, by using emotions. One is more objective, the other one is way more subjective, if I can put it that way. So what's interesting with expertise, for example, is that it kind of works on both levels, because it works in convincing people. I mean, you have the right level of experience, for example, the right degree. You're really entitled to do the job and be in your position. You have the formal authority. Very objectively, it works. But it also works on a subjective level in many ways, because being an expert and feeling like an expert, you will most probably act with more confidence. You will appear to be more confident, and most probably people will tend to trust you more. So for that reason, it also works on an emotional level, which is why, like you said, Max, it's, it's very interesting to, to be well aware of your personal qualities and to promote them, to use them, because it will make you more visible. You're listening to the Better Teams podcast. Thank you. We hope you enjoy it. Feel free to follow our Facebook page, Better Teams Podcast, to ask us questions and discuss these episodes or previous ones with fellow listeners. Now let's go back to our conversation. There is a third challenge, Max, that you want to share with us. Uh, what is it? So the third thing, which is very important, and that first-time leaders have struggled to deal with, is delegation. Now, often, you know, when we take on the role, we don't want to delegate too much because we don't want the team to think that we are not capable of, of dealing with it. But honestly, I think it's a mistake. But also delegating too much is also a problem because, you know, you have to also train the team to take on more and more and also asking them what they want to be involved in. And there are a lot of very good exercises like, um, like delegation poker, for instance. This one, I like it very much because it helps to decide the level of delegation. Because often, you know, we talk about, you know, two level of delegation. So like a very binary thing, either I do it as the manager or they do it as the team. But as many other levels in between, actually, we talk about seven levels with, um, you know, doing it together as the center uh, level, basically. But essentially, you need to really ask yourself, okay, is this a decision, for instance, that I need to make alone, you know? And this is typically what you would be talking about, you know, in a delegation poker exercise with the seven levels of delegation. I think it's worth saying a word about these seven levels of delegation before we continue. It's a tool from Management 3.0. It's a set of seven cards representing several levels of delegation. As Max said, the whole purpose of this tool is to help you see delegation in a more complex way out of the usual binary model, they do it or I do it. And it's a great tool to trigger fruitful discussions. We have used it many times with teams to boost accountability, for example, or to bring more clarity as well, and to root the delegation of tasks into the team and company's context. So it's very simple to use. You can list cases or situations about which you want to discuss who does what, who has what influence, and every participant, every team member, usually between three and seven people, uh, receives the seven cards. The first three cards give more authority to the manager, Basically, the first card is tell, so the manager, he or she, decides. The second card, sell, the manager decides, but also tries to sell the decision to the team. The third card is consult, which means that the manager will consult and then decides. In the middle, you have a fourth card, which is agree, and it means that you come to an agreement together, the manager and the team, so there is a shared authority and a shared responsibility. The last three cards give more authority to the team. So you have the card advice, the manager advises, but the team decides. You have the card inquire, the team decides, but the manager inquires after. And the last card is delegate, which gives full delegation power to the team. 
So that being said, Max, um, I'd like to ask you, what guiding essential questions would you ask yourself as a manager, basically, to assess how you will delegate things? So, yeah, is this a decision that I need to make alone, for instance? Or is this something that I will definitely need input from the team? Or do I really need approval from the team? Because it's very common that you need approval from the team, you know, on certain things, because they might be the one using, you know, whatever the tool, you know, let's say you're, you're buying a tool or a license for a software, right? The team is using it, right? So you deciding and just consulting them, I think is not enough. I think the team should be able to approve that. So in that sense, it's almost the other way around. It's the team deciding and informing you or consulting you because you get to sign budget-wise. So that's, that's an example. Should the decision be made altogether by the team, like I said in this example? Or it can also be that uh, you need to decide something, but you want to consult them, you know? So they don't have the final approval, but you still want to consult them. You know, let's say that you're buying new things for the office, you know, okay, that's, I think that's a very concrete example, you know, let's say you're buying new chairs, so you want to ask them. I don't know, I think it's a terrible example, so I need to, I need to think of another one. But um, yeah, let's say that you need to hire someone. So it's a role which is key for the team, but it's still for you to decide, you know, to have the, the final say, you know. So it will impact your team because that's going to be a new co-worker, but it's not going to impact them directly in their work. So you want to, you know, involve them. And if that new person is really impacting them in their work because it's going to join a specific assignment with them, then you really want to consult them. You really want them to have a say in it, and then you make the final decisions. In some cases, uh, when I was uh, leading team in engineering, I would give the final, uh, the final say to the team, actually. <laughs> so it's, uh, it really depends. I mean, of course, when there's money involved in salary negotiation, that's something else. You, don't want, you cannot involve the team, of course. But uh, if the team had a doubt, it was no-go, basically. That's basically the kind of delegation you can have in place. But it's very important to, um, to keep it you know, not too much and not too little. Because if you do too much, then you start running everywhere. And if you do too little, the team is kind of overwhelmed with having to make all kinds of decisions and they might not be empowered for or not having the formal authority for. So it's a delicate balance that you need to, to keep in mind. But I think it's a very interesting exercise because you can really help people in your team grow, like really grow. And that's the thing, that's, that's the beauty of it. Because everything I said in the first two points also applies when you try to delegate things, you know. Let's say someone in your team is showing a lot of um, promise for taking more responsibilities. I think it's also very good to explain to that person, yes, I know that I cannot give you the formal authority yet. I cannot give you a promotion on that. I'm only giving you, let's say, a role. But be mindful about all of your um, informal source of power, the one that I just described in the, um, in the second point. So it's very good because as a first-time leader, you know, you become aware of these things, you know, and if someone is coaching you to, or, or when you listen to, the, <laughs> to this podcast, uh, so you become aware of that. But it only really, I would say, crystallizes when you start making someone in your team aware of that, when you see potential in that person. I think you only grow as a first-time leader if you help someone else grow, you know. I don't know if that makes sense, what I'm saying, but, but for me, that's really how it crystallized. You know, I, I started to really enjoy my first uh, people management role when I started to help someone grow into um, a similar direction. So, yeah, at least that's what, uh, that's what happened for me. And of course, yeah, the very final thing to keep in mind is really um, psychological safety. So how to install that, you know, how to install that, how to deploy, how to create this sense of psychological safety. And all of that is related to trust. 
and all of the elements I shared in point one, two, and three contribute to trust, and trust will get you to towards psychological safety, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a very important concept. Uh, we have talked, we have written quite a lot about it before um, on our LinkedIn pages, for example, um, Entevorce and Team Pitvorce. Maybe if you have never heard of the word before, uh, this term has been coined by Harvard Business School professor Amy Edmondson, and she defines it as a, a quote, shared belief held by members of a team that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. She also wrote in a publication in 1999 that it describes a team climate characterized by interpersonal trust and mutual respect, in which people are comfortable being themselves. So we won't go into much more detail about that topic. You can find plenty of information online. But for more resources, I would also encourage you to listen to previous episodes of the podcast, especially episode one about gaining acceptance from the team, um, episode three, which is about building trust, episode five, about giving feedback, and episode six, about dealing with conflicts. These, I think, are good resources for you to build or strengthen psychological safety in your team if needed well max if you don't have anything to add i think we can stop there yeah i hope this helps and um yeah that's pretty much it thank you thank you for listening to this team time episode of the better teams podcast one last word from me to invite you to go to the youtube channel simply called better teams with max and vince go check out our videos there is additional original content there and remember to subscribe It's very important, that way you can help our content to reach and help more people. Thanks a lot, I'll be seeing you on YouTube then, and in the next episode.